Hi, welcome to Beyond the Filter. I'm Liz Ryerson, and I'm about to talk to Shannon Strucci, who is a YouTuber, video essayist, and also a filmmaker. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I um, have, We've been shooting a lot for a short film recently, and I was really worn out and I napped all day. So <laughs> that was my very exciting day today. So, um, would you consider yourself part of, like, the film sphere, film Twitter, uh, that kind of thing? My, uh, my brand presence on Twitter, or whatever? Uh, I don't know, I, because, like, there's the larger film Twitter that's, like, really big film critics and filmmakers. I don't really interact with any of them. There's a certain subsection I've interacted with for years, even before my YouTube stuff took off more. Uh, I, I interact more with, like, game designers and irony leftist people. So I, I follow a lot of different people. I try to get a lot of different perspectives. And I'm sort of tangential to a lot of these communities. I don't know if I'm super mm-hmm. um, in the middle of any of them, necessarily. Because I just sort of do whatever I want. And then some people get annoyed and unfollow me because it's too much. But, <laughs> but uh so, so like, where does your interest in, in games specifically and following a bunch of games people come from as a person who does mostly stuff oriented around film? I've always really liked video games, but more as a hobby rather than um, wanting to be, like, a game designer or uh, mm-hmm. a developer or anything like that. Um, I, I just think they're really interesting. And even when people post, like, little art updates of games they're working on or whatever, I'm like, oh, I think that's cool. Um as an, but I've always been more of an outsider to that rather than someone who actually makes films and makes video essays. Mm-hmm. So, so that's one of the primary things that you do is um, a lot of video essays online. And like one of the things mm-hmm. that um, we're going to get into in a second that I want to talk about a lot is your video on parasocial relationships that you did, um, which you're working on a part two of. But do you have a um, like a easy, quick definition for parasocial relationships? Yeah, it's a uh, one-way relationship with a fictional character or like a um, like a celebrity or someone in the media or anything. It's you are getting, uh, like, I'm trying to figure out how to word it exactly, a representation of them, like a persona, and you sort of are fooled into thinking that you actually know them. It's like perceived as an actual two-way relationship, but it is absolutely only a one-way relationship, and it's a really prominent. Especially, it wasn't as prominent let's say, a couple hundred years ago, but the way the culture has shifted and the way that, you know, companies have realized we can make a lot of money off of making someone feel as if they are friends with this person or this character. Um, It's sort of like an insidious, strange thing. As we become more alienated, we develop these bonds with fictional characters that that are purposefully developed just to make money. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things um, about your your video essay was like when I watched it, kind of thinking like why? I mean, this term was defined years ago, but I kept thinking like why don't I hear this term more often? Because it applies to pretty much like everything about, um, especially making content online, but especially mm-hmm. like YouTube and Twitch and things like that, where um, there's like a personality that sort of a venue through uh it's sort of the vessel that that you are projecting onto an issue through and of course 
that's a relationship that we have with like media in general, but social media makes it so much easier because you're spending time with this person, a pretty serious chunk of time with this person. And yet the time is heavily media. It's not, it's, it's completely one-sided relationship. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And it's weird because it like, I know people who stream like constantly and like, their stream community is very important to them, but it's kind of hard to like be friends with people in that context when everything is sort of being mediated through that stream and and also through the way that they see you. And I, I don't know, it, it's 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 not only just a thing of like um, the the way that fans approach uh, celebrities or people that they look up to or whatever is weird or is uh, invasive or whatever, but it's also that the uh, approach that the people with the platform and celebrities also have to talking and um, interacting with people in this context is also kind of bizarre and it opens up for uh, some very strange experiences. Yeah, and and I do think for some people, they do get a lot of, like for some people it's a cynical manipulative thing and in other people they get a lot of affirmation from fans which you know you you can't feel that close to thousands of people or you can't consider thousands of people your friends or you can't get your you know like i said encouragement and affirmation from your also from your source of income i think it's all really tangled up and really unhealthy and i um i've streamed a little bit with uh h bomber guy but I would not want to start my own stream. I think if I was doing something educational, like I'm going to stream a movie or a game and then talk about game design or talk about this, but not just, I'm going to play this and we're all going to be friends. And it's just like, I can't, I feel like that is encouraging a kind of behavior that I just don't want to put up with or don't want to have to deal with. Um, It is weird, especially when you don't like know the person um, and you're sort of in that, that situation. I, I mean, I found it weird, like, I watched one of your streams with H Bomber Guy at some point, and like, mm-hmm. I, I watched it because like I know you to some extent, at least through interacting on Twitter. We so talk, I'm like, oh, this person lot. that is yeah. you know cool and friendly on Twitter is doing this stream, and I like mm-hmm. like his videos, but I've barely interacted with him or talked to him at all. And then I go on the stream, and like he has this entire, and and he's just an example of anyone with that kind of size of platform. So this mm-hmm. isn't him specifically, but like he has this whole community of people who, um, you know, have a certain way of talking about or a certain relationship to him, which is not like a friend relationship or anything, but is a like a kind of making memes based on, you know, appearances and videos or making lots of references to videos that he's done and things like that. It's kind of like, it's like the fan forum and the um <laughs> and the person intersecting and i'm like i this kind of feels weird <laughs> it's i did um it was either when i streamed with him or i did some live shows there uh georgia state university in atlanta i knew someone there and they were doing this live installation thing and he had me come in and do some live shows over twitch they were fun but someone was referencing something in the chat and I was like, what is that? I, cu- I couldn't remember what it was. I was like Googling it on my phone. Then I realized they were referencing one of the short films I had done. They were quoting it. But it, like a thousand people saw that or something. My short films don't get a lot of hits. I was like, wow, that feels really weird. 
that this person has paid them. I mean, it was uh, flattering, but it was also like, what would it feel like if people were just constantly spamming memes from my work in the comment? Like, that would be really, it's very strange um, to, I, to have that, that much t- of a space in someone's head, you know? Yeah, like, I've had that a few times where I'm like, um, you know, I've like written something or it's something about, it's a reference to something that I've done and someone will come Mm -hmm. up to me like smiling and reference that thing and be like, am I right? And I'll be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I literally (laughs) don't even remember I was like, wait, oh, I did. Oh God, I, that's familiar because I edited that video. That's really, uh, that's interesting. (laughs) <laughs> it, I, I don't have the level of personal even the stuff that is like really personal to me I don't necessarily have that same kind of personal engagement to it where I internalize mm-hmm. it and I know it's like like I said it's weird because I know I've been on the other side like all the time like I mm-hmm. have been in many situations where I felt like I was on the outside looking in at people so I get it but like for me I always want those things to be broken down but I think I think so much about the mechanisms of making your career uh, online, especially, but not just online, just as a, a person, a media person in general, is your ability to sort of um, compartmentalize and have these relationships with people who are fans who feel like they're connecting with you, but aren't actually connecting with you at some level and like Mm -hmm. i feel like a lot of people's success depends on their ability to do that and and i'm like sometimes it can be you know with good intentions they want to feel like they're talking to the rest of their their audience like they want to address people as on an individual basis so that those people can connect and relate because they want to reach people or it can be really sort of parasitic in that like Mm -hmm. they can be using that to sort of um take advantage of people to get a platform where they can you know abuse or take advantage of people and both of those things happen all the time um but like something about our culture makes people know that this is happening and recognize it but not see not be able to like fully acknowledge how weird it is Mm mm-hmm how new it is, how relatively new, and just how exploitative. I have become more self-conscious about it over time. I mean, I knew it was something that was happening, but I've tried to cut back a little bit on, like, web shows that I watch or other shows that I watch that make me feel that way and tried to focus more on when I'm feeling, like, kind of... Not, like, necessarily even down or lonely, but it's, like, maybe instead of watching this, I should just message one of my friends and get coffee or something. Um, I've known a lot of people who have been watching a whole lot of either listening to podcasts or, like I said, certain web shows that have a very uh, overriding parasocial element. And they've been like, I need to stop doing this. Because you can get kind of caught up in it. It's like, oh, here, my friends have another thing this week. I'm going to listen to it. And it's like, I don't actually know these people. I could be doing something else. Yeah, or even when you, like, even sometimes when it's somebody who I know but don't know really mm-hmm. well, um, it can be that sort of situation because it's like there's this whole world of things that I don't really know about. Um, and sometimes that makes me really uncomfortable. Um, and sometimes it's like I'm just like, oh, it's this person's job. But the professional and personal are extremely collapsed on social media in particular. 
Oh, um, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And you end up like... Uh, and like people... Go ahead. Sorry. You end up having... Uh, we were talking about this before recording. These sort of pseudo-friendship, pseudo-relationships where it's not... You're just not, not just a viewer, but you also... You might chat with someone or you follow each other on Twitter, but it's like you don't really know very much about that person's personality. And then I get into this space of like becoming friends with people I've been a fan of for a long time. And it's like, can I call this person my friend? How much do I want to talk about publicly being their friend? Because it feels like I'm using them and will other people want... There's a whole really strange world where sometimes I'll I'll travel and hang out with people and I won't take pictures with them or put anything on social media because I just don't want that secondhand attention, that weird parasocial thing. But then other times I'm like, I hope they don't think that uh, I don't consider them... It's like I get really neurotic about it. Um, and yeah. it's hard not to be neurotic about it if you actually care about because I'll see some people hang, hang out with someone and it's like hashtag so and so look at me look at what we're doing aren't I cool and I'm like wow that's really transparent and lame but you can go too far in the other direction yeah I mean I, I used to see in like back in the uh, I don't know like even 2012 I used to tweet mm-hmm. like oh I'm hanging out with this friend because I'm like not tweeting to a huge audience so I'm like kind of tweeting to people who might be friends uh, who follow me who might be friends with them and then be like oh it's nice that those people are hanging out or whatever but then I realized that that like creates a whole element of like oh you're missing out yeah look at me it's it's like a beach photo look at me I'm on vacation I'm having a great time only it's like a person (laughs) yeah and also like you look like you're having a great time in one photo (laughs) like it doesn't reflect what your actual experience was like yeah it's so weird. It's so no one, nothing culturally like prepared me for any of that. There, I think what I'm trying to do with the video series is at least draw attention to some of this stuff and give people a springboard to start thinking about it. Because you just well, yeah, sort of get it's, sucked it's into it. It's funny because, like I said, I had no terminology for this. Like I knew that this was a phenomenon, but there I had not heard people talking about this as a thing um just online in general and yet it defines so much about the way that like you know we approach like almost everything online like that and like these sort of fan relationships which are part of it but Mm -hmm. um i was thinking about it again because like uh e3 was in town like i live in la now e3's in town i had a friend staying with me but i don't go to e3 because i'm not like an industry person i'm not associated with an organization um so you know for for the most part anyway and so like you know i don't have like i'm not the type of person who would be going there for professional reasons or um you know or for personal reasons Mm -hmm. um and so like but there are a lot of people that i know who are in town and like i realize like you know i've written for waypoint and they do a bunch of podcasts and stuff and um i know one or two of them a little bit better as as people especially like one person from waypoint like we were we hung out quite a bit um when we used to live in the same place and like so i was like watching the podcast and like it's just like weird like because i had never really done that before and like the sort of um relationship that i was having to that like felt really strange because it felt kind of comforting in a way because i'm like oh these people are in the same town as me i can watch them interact with and respond to this stuff but then in the other way it 
like I guess the the problem that I have with it in regards to like being part of like commentary around video games is that I felt like when I got involved a lot of people were starting blogs and stuff and there was a community of people sort of making blog posts and sharing them with each other on Twitter um and it felt like a lot more people could sort of participate in that conversation and then at a certain point that kind of folded or became less of a thing and some of the people who were good bloggers and you know good at um you know who wanted to do it more professionally um sort of got more professional careers and now they have like fan followings and stuff and and now I can't like interact with that person in the same way anymore because they have all this fan stuff. They have all these memes based around the fact that they stream towards fans and everything is so oriented towards fans and fandom. And like, that is what I have problems with. Cause I'm like, this mm-hmm. is a person like, I felt like we were in a, I was in a conversation with this person and other people. And then all of a sudden fandom comes in, it blows everything up. And it's like, if you're not one of the people who has a huge amount of followers, then, you know, you're not on the same level anymore. And even if you are, and then if you are like everything you say is sort of mediated between the fact that people have made like memes off of you, some silly thing that you've done on a stream or whatever, because you have that kind of like fandom around you. And that's just like weird, so weird to me. Especially if you've been familiar with these people for a while and then they're being treated as this like fan object. Like, like they're a TV show now or something. Yeah, that, I could see how that would be frustrating because it would totally change the landscape of the conversation when you just care about the conversation, you know? Well, yeah, it, like, and it's not a TV show. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like life is not a TV show. <laughs> no, well, people are treating it as if it's one, you know? Uh, yeah, and, and um, I recently watched and rewatched uh, Bo Burnham's last special. And he talks a lot about how culturally, culturally, Bur- we were all sort he, of set up, or what? Is is Bo Burnham the guy who you quoted in your uh, your video about parasocial relationships? Yeah, I used a lot of his music okay. and him directly talking. I used a lot more in the second episode too, where the song about uh, pop stars, where he rips a little girl's heart out of her chest and stuff, like a very extreme representations of all of this. Um, mm-hmm. but talk, like culturally, I guess like well, me being a millennial, we were kind of set up to perform and to be graded on performance. So social media and capital—it's like here's here perform all the time for no reason, and then the people who are best at performing get all this attention, even though they don't deserve it. And it's not like I don't—I don't even know mm-hmm. be- because I'm sort of I want to make a decent living off of doing this stuff i make i'm very fortunate to have the the viewers that i have and to make the money i do have on patreon but like you were talking about it's like what do i have to do to compete with other people who are way more willing to be like oh my god i love my fans my fans are the best we're gonna have this private conversation we're gonna do this and it's like i don't that makes me feel sick i don't want to that makes me feel like i'm exploiting people especially if they're teenagers or say they don't have that much money it's like i don't i just uh is trying to balance all that when most people don't stop at all to think about the ethical implications of any of it um, yeah no one does because that's on. no one does because that's that's how you're supposed to make a career and everyone's mm-hmm. justification at the end of the day well not every everyone but like 
a lot of people's justification at the end of the day is like, well, it sucks that I have to do this, but that's how it is. And I, and I am a professional and I want to make a career out of this. And hopefully a more human side of me will come out, you know, while I'm doing this. And it's just easy to say that Mm -hmm. I feel like, and I'm not like trying to, to, to talk shade, you know, about like people at waypoint or about any of the, this was just like an example of this kind of, sort of dynamic taking over but the the problem with the fan relationship also too is it's a passive one like there's no give and take you're not contributing um in any way to this person's um this person's image or this person's like what this person's doing professionally but oftentimes this person will make you feel like you are um, but the dissonance between what you actually have power to say and affect versus um, what you think you do kind of creates a lot of anger and resentment and it creates a, a not only like kind of like a cult-like atmosphere around people who are popular, but it also creates like a, a one where you it's so much easier to get hostility directed at you because people are resentful that someone with a platform is doing this and having this relationship, but they're not allowed to participate yeah and i think um like i'll look at especially for the video i've been working on now i looked a lot um at the fandom for red letter media and uh out of all of those guys i think uh jack is the most sort of or he comes across in the videos as the most like sort of positive and normal like he's a father with kids and he's like a happy person and i think a lot of the worst contingent of their fan base just hates him for that because I think the rest of the group is maybe a little has a darker sense of humor or is a little more like morbid or this sort of stuff and I kind of see it especially in let's say the darker places uh, on the internet that are where their fans congregate there is a certain jealousy there of like why does he why does this loser get to do this uh this normy loser guy why can't I be friends with them I think a lot of the reason that they hate him specifically is this weird <laughs> like controlling kind of perspective because maybe he's a little bit further left or a little bit more positive, they just freak out on him, and it's it's very strange. <laughs> I, but I think a lot of it isn't just uh, his politics; it's that he seems happy and normal, and they are very resentful of that. Not that the rest of the guys don't seem that way. It's sort of hard to explain um, uh, outside of the context mm-hmm. of their videos, but I think they call him uh, he's uh, sort of skinny and bald, and they call him AIDS Moby, and they just hate him. And it's like, wow, okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and I think a lot, like I said, a lot of that is jealousy. Not only of wanting to be famous or wanting to have a big audience, but wanting to just sit around and drink beer with these other people. Well, um, yeah. And like the the dominant um, media sort of thing online is like either the podcast with the podcast, you know, the, the cliche of the podcast is just like three normal dudes just sitting around talking about stuff. Come listen to us talk. Come join the conversation. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> it's like that, that's the default, co- that's the default format of the podcast. Either that or mm-hmm. like the NPR sort of very heavily edited sort of podcast. Um, and then the, the, or it's like YouTube, which in, in the, the inherent appeal of YouTube. And I think it's been sort of, I think it's a lot more understood what YouTube is for because when YouTube started, it's like, Oh, there's this funny video or like, I'm going to put my short film up here or whatever. Mm-hmm. But no, but people don't watch that. Like, or at least not to the extent of anything else. People, what actually works for the format of YouTube is like these vlogs, 
Um, sometimes it's video essays, but it's things involving a personality, um, somebody that you can relate to and connect with, not somebody who's like super rich or who seems super rich or super happy. Oftentimes it's somebody who's like angry about something because mm -hmm. that's the thing that people tend to be able to relate to. Um, and like, and, and that's the dominant sort of format of YouTube. Um, but it sort of creates this thing where like, um, you know enough information about a person from their social media, from YouTube, that you can think that you're making a conclusion about who this person is, et cetera, et cetera. But um, in actuality, this person might be a different kind of person or there might be elements that you're not seeing, but like, the the whole point is to sort of put elements in front where it's like this is a person that I can connect with and I can relate to and I feel like part of the reason for that is like if you look at like you know uh, mainstream celebrity culture like uh, you always think of celebrities as like you know getting out of their mansions or whatever avoiding the paparazzi getting in a limo and just and being in like studio lots all day like sort of away from from normal people away from interacting with normal people and everything that they say is like mediated through some kind of massive production of massive scale mm -hmm. and compare that with like YouTube where like you can actually be like, okay, this is a person I can relate to. They look normal, you know? Yeah. I think there's that like craving for more information about someone or you're obsessed with them. And then you go through everything you can consume about them and you want more and with vloggers they'll do like how like a vlog every day a video every day the really big youtubers do that which i'm sure is just completely exhausting but that's why they're so successful i did a lot of research and watched a lot of stuff by the big let's players like markiplier or jacksepticeye and their fan base definitely has the you know the the entitlement to well i want to get at least a video every single day and why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing this and it's like gosh i these people definitely don't have lives outside of this there's no way they could like just with how much time it takes to do all this and it's very sad <laughs> well it's it's a thing of setting expectations too mm -hmm. like with my patreon i don't set a particular goal that i'm trying to meet and as a result i don't get as many people on my patreon like giving me money because there's no like stretch goals there's no like whatever i just basically have been posting a podcast a month and sometimes other things mm-hmm but like the flip side is I don't have anyone being like, you know, fuck you, you're not making enough stuff or whatever, because no one's investing with that expectation. Yeah, I get people annoyed with me, but I do take months to make a video sometimes. But if I'm, you know, if I'm making a 40 minute or whatever video essay for very little money, then it's going to take me a long time to do it and people can just deal with it. I don't feel bad. <laughs> I know that I would have a much bigger fan base if I could do like a video a week or a couple videos a week, but... I just try to focus on quality over quantity and hope I get to a point monetarily where it can sustain something. Yeah, well, and you set expectations based on what you do. Like yeah. if you put videos basically when you feel like it or, you know, every once in a while, then people expect that you're going to do that. Mm -hmm. And you might have a smaller audience or whatever. But um, the flip side is you don't get the people demanding it at the with the same fervor than if you post something every day. And that's the thing. I think a lot of young people, they get like advice about this stuff where people are like, oh, this is how you build your audience. And no one talks about like how to manage your fan base or like, you know, the other sides that come 
from that they don't they don't talk about the fact that like if you post vlogs every day if you post content any every day you're going to be fucking exhausted your mental health is going to be in the toilet mm-hmm. or that like you're gonna more likely have a fan base who keeps demanding the stuff of you when you do inevitably burn out and like unfortunately there's no accounting for that in like you know when people get advice about this stuff yeah well even just um dealing with obsessive fans dealing with stalkers dealing with people con- like constant constant comments about your appearance and people trying to dig into your life even separate from the pressures that are actually part of the job like producing content all that stuff is just terrible and i didn't i was totally prepared for um people who left me weird creepy comments uh, about how me being sexy or whatever and i was prepared for people who would be very cruel and angry and hate what I did. I was not really prepared for the people who are just, who I just sort of take up a space in their brain and they constantly want my attention and they constantly post about me and are completely obsessed with me separate from my work. That is really strange, especially I'm not, um, I don't have hundreds of thousands of subscribers. I'm not that big at this point, but the kind of like really weird, Mm -hmm. the people who say really weird stuff, um, without I guess going too much into it are a lot worse than people who just like tell me I should die or whatever because you can understand there are certain things where you can understand where someone is coming from and why they would leave that kind of comment but as you get bigger there are people that are just like why is I just don't under I'm kind of baffled and this is so strange and then I do the convention appearances and stuff like that I panel at a bunch of different conventions and it's like is one of these people going to be there and I feel less trusting of people than I used to be because of all this Um, which I have to be I can't People will uh, ask me stuff on Curious Cat and I'll be a little bit evasive or I won't want to answer it. And then they get kind of mad. Well, you have no idea the kind of stuff like I just it just makes me want to delete everything. You don't need to know exact uh, specific things about my life or my relationships or whatever. Like, why would you? I just this is the thing. Two people want to know what I think about everything. They want to know all this. And I'm like, I make video essays on movies. I'm not, you know, a, I, keep, I get a lot of questions about like anarchy or anarchism or, or Israel or stuff like that. I'm like, why do you care? You should stop caring what a film critic thinks about this stuff and go do, go outside, go do something else. Uh, I'm very flattered that people care that much. It's like, you care too much. Especially because I put all these boundaries up. And I'm, anyone who pays attention to my work at all is like, please don't ask me about my dating life. Don't ask me about my like religious beliefs. Don't ask me about this. Don't ask me specifics about this. And um, people still do it. I guess that that vloggers and those types of people set a certain expectation because they'll do it. They'll talk about any of that stuff. And then people get angry when they can't access that part of you. It kind of reminds me when people asking you about Israel and stuff, it reminds me of this joke that Dave Chappelle, and I have severe issues with Dave Chappelle because of his like fucking transphobia. But anyway, um, that he made about like, I think it was like after 9-11 where it was like, um, there was like a newscast and they were they were like saying like uh well we're, we we have jaw rule on the on the thing we're gonna see what jaw rule thinks about this and he's like i don't give a fuck what jaw rule thinks people do though i mean I, and I am political on twitter but you could probably guess my opinions on israel from my tweets why do you need to why do you have to know why do you have to like it's so weird people and, and i've gotten stuff uh more stuff lately and I'm not trying to single these people out or make them feel bad, but there have been a few tweets where people were, like, starstruck by me or the way they responded to how I responded to them or they saw I had retweeted something that they did. 
Um, which is fine, but it's also like, why are you stars? I, I don't want to put people off or hurt people's feelings, but I'm like, I'm just an idiot who makes video essays. Why is it such a big deal to you? It shouldn't be like, you should, if you're going to admire someone, you should admire someone who's like an activist or something, or who's done something that's really, uh, cool or important. Not trying to put myself down, but I, I just, I'm waiting for the day where I actually meet and interact with a fan. Cause it's going to be so horribly awkward for me. <laughs> um, because uh, I don't really know how to handle fan culture and this sort of deification of people and putting people on a pedestal, especially having known I, people. I have dealt with that so weird. to some extent. Like, I've dealt with that to some extent. Not to, like, you know, a large, large extent, mm-hmm. but to some extent. And, like, especially, like, with, like, young uh, queer and trans people, like, especially trans women, um, because I'm trans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I... I guess what I try and do is like talk to them as people and and be and like ask them about them or at least like tr- try and do something that is like uh, sort of closes that um, gap because I'm just not interested in that. And if they want to have that sort of relationship or idea of me, then it's just not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if people knew that like, um, oh, I just have to be a person. I don't have to do this performance thing and ask people these weird questions based on work that they've done. If they like knew that, then they probably wouldn't do that. But I think a lot of people don't know or they don't understand. They just don't have insight into that. And it's like, I, I think this is something that I have realized and, and thought about before of like, um, there's this idea that if you're like, a public figure or who does any sort of thing around like let's say entertainment or arts that somehow that this is just it's just like a magical wonderland space (laughs) and it's just like magic and you're just conjuring magic all the time and it's like uh i think people would be um slightly depressed about the reality sometimes um but also i mean like i i get i get it like um there is like some sort of magic there but it's not the magic is not the people or whatever it's a it's in like the idea and the things that you do and Mm -hmm. sort of so i think we need to like uh under have a different understanding of that but it's just weird because like you saying people asking you about Israel and things like that. I'm like totally guilty of people ask me that kinds of shit like that all the mm-hmm. time, especially in person. Cause I'll start talking about some politics thing and they'll be like, people tend to um, expect me to have the solution to everything. Yeah. <laughs> and then like get, get angry when I don't because, and part of that is because I tend to say like what I'm thinking about everything um, all the time. <laughs> And, you know, so whenever I say, like, I don't know the answer to that, people are like, well, you know, you're a hypocrite. And it's like, (laughs) well, no, I just don't know the answer to that. Uh, Plenty of people don't know the answer to things. Plenty of people will act like they know the answer to everything uh, when they don't. And I guess that's that sort of sets the standard. But yeah, I mean, I have my areas where I feel comfortable talking about certain stuff. And then there are other areas where even if I have, you know... I have my set of beliefs about it. I'm like, I, why are you asking me that? Especially people on Curious Cat who will ask me questions having to do with race. I don't think I'm ill-informed about, like, racial issues or ra- racism in America, but I'm also white. Like, why are you asking me? Stop asking me. I'm not trans. I'm not black. I'm not these things where people, like, come to me and it's like, what? Well, stop. Or someone asks, well, they'll ask me about a really obscure filmmakers from their country and what I think of them. And I'm like, it's cool that you think that I know everything about everything 
and see me as some kind of superhero or something. But it's like, I know I haven't heard of this obscure Finnish filmmaker. I'm not an expert on their, you know, filmography. Um, I appreciate this, but whatever it is, it's like, I, you shouldn't be getting your entire ideology and all of your information from people who do YouTube or people who do podcasts, uh, even though we're more accessible. Yeah. (laughs) You would think that would go without saying, but it doesn't. I guess let's like let's turn this around for a second mm-hmm. because I think this is this is interesting. Um I think there is an idea of like if you're a film nerd or a music nerd especially those are two ways that this comes up that you are supposed to have this broad base of knowledge and be able to have an opinion and be an authority on everything mm-hmm. like that is very like music nerd culture and I think it's also pretty film nerd culture it honestly. It is. It 100% is. Yeah, and I think that's something that comes from like the the cliche about music nerd is it's it's like that high, that movie High Fidelity where it's like these snobby record store dudes, and with film nerds it's like um, you know people who work at video stores or who like do private screenings of things and stuff. And this was like a lot of that stuff was a phenomenon uh, in seventies and eighties and nineties. Um, but you know, it's all sort of transitioned into the internet now, but I think that's why that people have that assumption that if you're supposedly working in whatever field that you have an opinion about everything and it's a really kind of Mm -hmm. shitty, uh, position to be put in because like, if you're an artist and you're making something like, like let's say I'm making a video game about a particular thing. Like it's not like I'm going to know or care about most video games that are coming out. And it kind of sucks that I have to feel like I have to have an opinion about it. Um, mm-hmm. Which is why I may be jealous of you being able to approach it as a fan. Cause people are like, you know, what do you think of the new God of war or whatever? And it's like, I don't fucking I don't. know. I, d- I don't even play like I new AAA games. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> so then I, and, end up having to say something and like about it and just because of feeling like oh i have to have an opinion and then and then you know people are like oh i didn't like your opinion it's like fuck like why did i even talk about this it's like i don't care about star wars i have never cared about star wars i watched original trilogy when i was like 17 18 which i think is too for me it was too old to really get into it uh, my Star Wars was One Piece. It was anime. That's what I really liked as a kid. But it's like, I think I trying not to be cynical about it. But if I made a bunch of Star Wars video essays, they would get a ton of hits. And I would get a lot of interaction and I get a lot out of it. But I was just like, I just don't. And I'll get questions about it. I'm like, I don't care. I don't have to care. Well, at least from my position, I am not focusing on views and writing cultural waves and whatever. Um, but yeah, people, well, the thing is someone will ask your opinion on something and you'll give it and then they'll get upset and try to have like this big argument with you. And it's a way of trying to get your attention or get to engage with you. And I'm like, I don't really care enough to do that. I'm not here for debate club. Yeah. And so this is the, this is the thing that I said when I, when I want to turn this around, because I think part of it is like, Mm -hmm. it's about like people, the reason that people are doing this stuff, because it's like important for me to understand the reason that people are doing this stuff is because first of all, like it's a sort of cultural expectation, especially in film and, and in music, but also in like video games or whatever that you're going to have certain awareness, but it's also like, I think that like back in the day online, I remember music, not just music forum forums in general being a, a sort of way that people talk about this stuff. And yes, there are power dynamics on forums. You know, people get banned for no reason. There are like power users that people like and listen to and 
users that people never listen to and make fun of. But like, Mm -hmm. the thing is like, that person is theoretically just part of the same thing. And I feel like a lot of those discussions have gone to Twitter now, where people have the same discussions, but it's all like, you know, oh, well, we have a certain number of followers, and if we don't follow you or don't consider you with an authority, then you're not part of this discussion. And so I think people feel like it's it's the networks and stuff of, of social media, of Twitter, that these discussions that were originally more open have become more closed off and more about this sort of one-way relationship and it benefits the people who are able to go out there and do the work and put themselves out there but not everybody has the time and energy or capability of doing that Uh, i mean i think more people should do it if they want to do it and i think there are some people that you know would come up with every justification for not writing about something or doing something but the fact of the matter is that like It is frustrating to me, I know, when I see certain kinds of discussions and it's like missing something that I see as obvious and then I wanna reply to that person on Twitter and be like, hey, I think you're missing this thing. And I try and be polite, you know, but like Mm -hmm. I I guarantee that somebody who's reading this who doesn't know who I am, like at least one of those people is gonna find it annoying, you know? And that's the problem. It's not just like, that people don't have good etiquette about this stuff, which is a problem. But it's also that like these networks have made it really, really hard to be on any sort of like equal footing where you can talk about these things. And I think that is the the issue. And I think that's the reason why there's, um, that's part of the reason why there's so much sort of resentment and anger around this stuff. I think so too, because if, if there's a discussion and you look at it and you're like, oh, I have something to add to this. And you say something and everyone ignores you. It makes you feel small. That makes you feel not seen. But but there's also the other side of it where whenever I, like, I, I interact sometimes with the Chapo guys. And anytime one of them responds, I'll always get a bunch of weirdos just adding onto the conversation. Or, or get, it'll get like a hundred favorites or something. Because there's automatically, there are hundreds of eyes on this sort of more private conversation. And that's when it's a positive interaction. I can only imagine if one of them insulted me how it would feel. And not it's not anything that they would want to do. And they're not like bad like there are some people um on left Twitter who will, you know, quote tweet someone with twenty followers and then on, on purpose to get them dogpiled. It's like that the not only the respect and attention aspects of this power dynamic, but also the bullying, the harassment that you can very easily like I will screenshot stuff and say, Hey, don't talk to them. I wanna have a discussion about what this person is saying, but like leave them alone. Uh, and that's a pain. And that's not something that happened on forums. Because on forums too, I made friends with people that, if I like, right now I'm doing all right on Twitter. But when I started Twitter, I had very few followers and very little social capital on there or whatever. I would never have been friends with some of the people I am now. But we were in these small communities centered on niche interests, and I ended up being friends with people. So I can see what you're saying too. It's just a, it's just a minefield. <laughs> yeah, and like you in particular, I was okay with talking about talking to you because I think um, one of my friends knew you, and he's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, you should follow this person." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, I trust oh. this friend, so this person's probably fine." You know, so I already got on a good foot with that. But there are other people who follow me who I who are might be perfectly fine people, but I don't know who they are, and I don't know if they're following me in bad faith or you know whatever. I had one person actually like who I met, who seemed perfectly nice. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I was so mean to you like a few years ago. I was just in a really bad place. 
And I literally did not even know what she was talking about. I did not remember that. <laughs> and That's pretty funny. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I'm glad that, you know, she's not in a bad place anymore. But the thing is, like, I get enough comments from random people like that, that, like, I don't mm-hmm. internalize it because I just don't, like, I, it's just, like, hard for me to even, like, even when I see this stuff, it doesn't. Because if I literally did internalize it, then I would probably, like, shatter to pieces. And, like, Mm -hmm. it's a survival mechanism. Like, especially if you've had harassment stuff directed at you at all on the internet before. Like, you very quickly learn. Like, when I said something about Total Biscuit a few weeks ago. Oh, good luck. Online, like, and I had to lock my account. That's, like, another example of, like, okay, yeah, like, I... I've had people telling me that I should kill myself like a lot online. So, mm-hmm. or, you know, that, that they hope I die of cancer, etc. So uh, it's like, I don't remember that stuff. And, and, and maybe somebody who is one of those people turns out to be a cool person or whatever. And they'll be like, Oh, I'm sorry that I said that to you. And I will literally not remember because like no way in hell I'm going to remember that. People don't recognize the volume of it. Yeah. And that's the and that's the side of it too of like um you have that platform you can't really have an equal exchange with somebody else on the other side even if you want to because you have too many people messaging you too many people um that you, that you don't really it's it's hard to like internalize like you know what this person is saying or whatever when you've just like had so many of those interactions over and over and over again which is why I think it's really important for people to like, you know, whenever I'm like happy when I'm see like people are doing their own thing, like they have their own approach, they have their own unique thing going on. And it makes it like a lot easier for me to remember who this person is. If oh, this person has like a unique approach to, to doing something like they have like, mm-hmm. or they have a unique perspective or they're coming from a place that you can tell is genuine and not just like, I need to have an opinion about this thing, you know? And I think that's, that's when it makes it easier for me to, to connect to people. Yeah. And I, it's a lot easier because I don't want to be the kind of person who I'm only going to end up being friends with other like content creators or whatever, or people who have some kind of platform, but it's a lot, I feel a lot more comfortable interacting with someone when it feels like they have something to lose, which sounds weird, but like, you know, you form these relationships with people and you end up trusting people. And if they're just some random anonymous person, then like, what is stopping them from, you know, if I tell them something in private, then posting that somewhere or them just like going off the deep end or anything like that. I think if someone has not necessarily that they're making stuff, but if they have some kind of established personality and track record, like one of my really good uh, Twitter friends is a Manofsky article and he mostly just posts about anime, but he's really, really sincere and like pushes for sincerity and it's just really sweet and funny. And I, it's like, I really love talking to him. He doesn't have a YouTube channel. He doesn't have a podcast. It's not that. It's that like, oh, this person, not even necessarily that he stands out, but it's like he seems like a, a reliable, fun person to talk to. Whether Whereas I've gotten like, I got recently a random DM from someone who followed me that was like, hey, how's it going? And it was like, this isn't creepy, but like, I don't know you. Mm-hmm. I don't, you're acting like people who act like they're your friends or they're already your friend or who, who want to riff with you. And it's like, I don't. It's like you've skipped several steps in this. It's weird. 
Yeah, it's weird. I I think the more people that you interact with, I think this is important for people to know too. Um, the more people mm-hmm. you interact with who are just fans or just pe- you know random people who follow you, whatever you know, whatever you want to call it the more that you can see who is genuine and who's not like it's, it becomes more obvious. And if somebody is like, has a genuine emotional investment in something and they're sharing that, then it becomes very easy for me to tell that versus somebody who's just kind of trying to riff and, and, and play the game. And be cool and be liked. Yeah. And, and fit into this certain kind of, especially on like leftist irony Twitter, the the people who just try, all they're doing is yeah. making fun of stuff and trying to be funny and, and they're not funny and they're not very good at it. It's like, I just don't, why would I want to interact with you? Why would I care about what you think when you're just being mean all the time? The shitty thing is like, I, I feel like I've been there. I feel like I've made stupid jokes on people's like, especially when I was first like mm-hmm. getting into following this stuff. Cause I'm like. Cause I'm like, I think the thing that I say is cool. So I think that more people should pay attention to that. I think it was frustration for me of like, uh, wanting to like reach out to some of these people and say, Oh, you should talk about this thing and you should talk about that thing. And I mean, like, I think the reason why it worked a little bit better for me is because hopefully I was engaging with people in a semi-genuine way um Mm -hmm. at least i like to hope so you come across as genuine i think that's been my strength is that i'm not i mean i'll i post whatever i'm feeling and just respond and i i try to be very sincere and i'm not necessarily trying to be funny or trying to get people to like me and i think when people are just sick of everyone trying to get them to like them all day and trying to be cool and trying to be liked within these certain niche communities when someone is just like i because i'm just like i'm doing what i want to do and if it gets on your nerves then you don't have to follow me whatever i don't care and mm. I think people respond to that. Yeah, I, I definitely just like, you know, tweet retweeting a bunch of people's tweets about ice and stuff. And then I posted like, you know, here's my ranking of missions in the the 1998 video game Thief, Thief Gold. <laughs> yeah. And like uh, probably a bunch of people are like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I didn't follow this person for that. But I'm just like, that's, 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 that's what I do. <laughs> like, if you don't want to follow me, that's fine. You don't know what the fuck this is and don't want to follow me. Fine with me. And over time, I've gotten way more likely to just block or mute someone. I don't care. And then I do get those messages that are like, you blocked my husband. Why did you do that? Let's talk about it. And I was like, I don't know you. I don't, yeah. You are not entitled to my attention. You're not, and I think some people have this idea of like, what if I miss out on a relationship or a networking opportunity or a friendship? And I, like I said, over time, especially as I've gotten more followers, it's just like, I don't care. I'm not on here mm-hmm. to appeal to the highest number of people possible and get them all to watch my videos or whatever. It's like, I, if someone makes me uncomfortable or, or, or just annoys me, especially with lefty people and like tankies and stuff, some of the stuff they say, I'm like, I don't ever want to interact with you ever. You're annoying. It's a, it's a matter of like mental and emotional energy. And you just like only have a certain amount of capacity to do that. Like no one's like a Absolutely. machine. And I think a lot of people forget about that because I think our culture is very oriented towards the self. But um, I want to like transition also to talking about you talked about um, some experiences being on at, at, uh, being on panels at conferences. Mm-hmm. So like, what kind of conferences and, and panels are are you are you on generally? Um, I've done four conventions. I've done a Dragon Con, which is a big you know multi genre convention. I did Intervention Con in Baltimore, which I don't know if they'll keep doing that, which sucks. It was a really cool convention about, mm-hmm. it was about a lot of different stuff, sort of. Uh, I think the the co-chairs wanted to 
get people to feel more comfortable writing and expressing themselves and like approaching fandom in a certain way. Um, and then I do Monsterama, which is a horror convention in Atlanta, and Con Carolinas, which is another multi-genre convention in uh, Charlotte. And uh, I mostly do horror panels, film panels, filmmaking panels, but then I'll end up, I was on one a couple weekends ago about like imposter syndrome, or I'll end up on, I was on one, I actually moderated a panel on Me Too, which is very stressful. Um, and I do, I moderate a lot, and uh, I don't think anyone wants to do it because um, it's not as fun for people as being on the panel, but then I'll moderate a bunch and they'll let me interview people who are on panels, which is really fun. Um, I've, I've, I mostly do, like I said, horror and film, but if there's one about like being queer in fandom or being a woman and, and this are on editing, I normally they'll give you a list and you can kind of pick and choose to some extent. Although at Dragon Con, it's definitely like Little Fish Big Pond for me. And I just take what I can mm -hmm. get there because that's, that's like an 80,000 person convention or something. It's huge. And yeah, that's the one. That's a panel there. That's the one convention that I had heard of outside of like, mm -hmm. I because I'm like not are, super actively. Are very small. Yeah, so you're but you're I, based I in Atlanta Con for years. Yes, yeah, I live in Atlanta, so I mostly do. I go to um, cons in the southeast whenever I can, and I'll sometimes I'll uh, be a part of the film festival there. Like I judged Con Carolinas last year. I was one of the judges, and this year we entered into it, and our film screened. I do a lot of short films with my friends too, like short comedy and horror films, uh, which don't do very well on the internet. But then when I do those, I can network with people. Well, I don't want to say network. That sounds gross. But, you know, like meet people at these festivals and watch their films and then I'll do in more festivals. And it's I'm, I'm doing uh, what, what people don't realize, too, when I don't have a video essay out for a while. It's like I'm doing a lot of different stuff and trying and seeing what sticks and, and what ends up being successful and trying to have fun with it. Um, yeah, it's it's funny to me of like I think about this in terms of short film projects like something like YouTube or Vimeo is basically where it lives online But it's not something that you try and actively promote whereas like something like a video mm -hmm. essay Is something that tends to have more traction online and that's the it's the weird thing about online content content specifically made for online sort of having this like different re different relationship to that to being like okay I'm just going to dump this thing that I did online because trying mm -hmm. to promote yourself uh, by being like I have a short film please watch it on YouTube like almost never works I at least oh no one cares no yeah. one cares at all even with my audience no one I'll, they'll get like I said my video essays usually do at least let's say five to fifteen thousand views typically mm -hmm. and the the short films i'm lucky if i get like a thousand or fifteen hundred nobody cares about those but i still make them it's still fun for me and we do it like well there's a show in atlanta called ladies night um that's like a short film competition every month and a lot of it was us entering into that um and having our stuff screened there and having it screened with an audience which is such a different experience versus putting something online and looking at the comment section <laughs> Totally. So are these, are these like a uh, convention sort of a venue for you to like connect to a lot of people who are doing similar kinds of stuff that you're doing and like uh, be able to share this stuff to a, a community? Is that like the primary venue with which you're doing that? I try to, I think, I mean, not that many people do video essays or at least in the Southeast. Uh, I mostly have just sort of looked at it as like this is a fun thing i get to do and uh a well, way I, I was to connect with more people in it yeah i, I, was I, I don't really or i was talking specifically about like your short films and stuff that has i i with the short films 
I got a lot more in that show in Atlanta, like meeting comics and meeting other people who would work on this stuff with me. Uh, this we've only screened a short film at one convention, and but people really liked it. People, other people who do short films in the like North Carolina, South Carolina area, really responded to it, and that was really cool. Um, we didn't like win anything, but I had multiple emails afterwards that were like, "Come short at my festival." Da, 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 when all I had expected out of the short film was, "I'm gonna put it on YouTube and nobody's gonna see it, but it'll be out there." You know, I that that is really a really different experience. And there would be like, I would bring up the film and someone would be like, Oh my God, you worked on that. That was great. And it's like, wow, I'm really not used to this. Um, yeah, it is weird about like expectations too. Like, um, if you do a certain kind of work, um, the kind of expectations that you have, depending the differences in expectations you have, depending on what kind of work mm -hmm. you're doing. Like, you know, if you release an album online, and it's just like an album of your own music or you release like a short film or you kind of expect that no one's gonna pay attention to it even though the whole thing yeah. is there online they can watch it or they can listen to it but um there's kind of that expectation but at the same time like if you're writing an article for the internet or you're doing a video essay like you really expect people to watch that um or you know it's less like creative expression or like my essays are I've always leaned more sort of academic, educational. I do reviews as well, but I, I like I put I put this out here, and I was like, I hope you watch it and you learn something, or you feel a certain way about this, or you learn something new about you find a new artist or whatever. Um, and I do. I mean, I would keep doing them even if I didn't get very many views. Where, but the short films are completely we do it for my friends and I sort of do it for us. Whereas if if like the last film nerd essay I did got very few views. And I was like, I'm not even really enjoying this that much. I'm just going to stop doing it. You know, whereas if it had really taken off, I would have done more. Because the film essays are sort of more my job. The video essays are. Yeah, it, um, it's, they're what people follow me for. Yeah, and it's weird because a lot of content on the internet is that way. Like, I started writing about games partially because that was a way to get people to follow me <laughs> online. But yeah. also, like, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to say things that I thought that, like, uh, I felt like I had something to add and I wanted to to get it out there. But then that sort of becomes the venue in which people sort of follow you and have expectations. And there is this kind of like, um, what's the word? Kind of like, like overly, <laughs> uh, not pedantic, but um, I can't remember. It's sort of like a teacher vibe or whatever, where it's like, it feels like something that you're doing out of obligation or like to educate but it's not like fun or whatever and that <laughs> and it's always that frustrating feeling to me of like if i feel like i've written something for it to be noticed by people and it doesn't get noticed then i get really upset but if it's like if mm -hmm. i do something for myself or whatever not expecting anyone to pay attention to it then it wasn't a failure you know it wasn't upset and that's like I feel like those expectations sort of get um, mixed together. I, it actually reminds me of like, I have that David Lynch book called Catching the Big Fish, which is mostly just a, him talking about meditation. <laughs> um, but there's a part where he said like his film Doom, Dune, sorry, I defaulted to saying Doom. <laughs> Doom. <laughs> I like play too much um, Doom. But anyway, his film Dune, uh, he said that he compromised on that movie, like he didn't have final cut, uh, and then it didn't do well. And so it was kind of like, not only 
did he compromise but it didn't but the compromise didn't result in doing better so it was kind of like two daggers you know in his heart or whatever because like it it is a horrible feeling to feel like whenever you you're doing stuff you're doing it because that's what is that's what gets attention that's like what is what people are supposed to do and then you don't get noticed because there is that feeling of like um like well i could just be doing what i want to do and i i really would like to see an internet where people are just doing what they want to do and maybe getting a little bit more engagement and views on things that they're doing but maybe not you know like doesn't have to be huge just because like i think like actually that outlet can be really um cathartic or whatever in the way that like making a video essay or writing an essay or whatever isn't necessarily most of the time i think my i think the only time that i really felt i was compromising on that was that last film nerd uh no one cared about parasocial relationships or knew what that meant but I was like, I think this is important. It's like you that feeling of you have this thing inside of you. You have all these ideas. It's like, I have to get this out no matter what. And then I did the um, the political correctness video, which was very stressful to do because I thought I was going to get doxxed or something. I don't know. I, I I was getting way more political than I had been up until that point. Mm-hmm. And I got pushed back, but it was fine, actually. I was very happy with the... I actually had some really interesting, like, engaging conversations in the comment section, which never happens. But after that, I did an essay on my favorite band, uh, Man Man. It's like 30-something minutes long, and it's gotten barely any views. But I was like, I'm really happy that I did that. I That was a really relaxing, fun thing for me to do. And a couple people, I think, got into the band after that. And the, the front man saw the essay and really liked it, uh, which was very flattering to me. You know, that was a big deal to me. That it meant something to him. That's, that's funny. Uh, that's a, it meant a lot. Yeah, that's something I've thought about a lot. There aren't that many video essays about me. There aren't that many video essays about music in general. I, I would actually mm-hmm. like more video essays about music because it's a format that a lot of people watch, and um, you know, it's a it's a way to get people engaged. And I think, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like there's a lot of. Um, I don't feel like a lot of the engagement is on YouTube, and when it is, it's uh, questionable, we'll say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, certain popular music reviewing YouTubers, who I will not mention, uh, specifically yeah, who one. Name? Uh, I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't know that much about music. It was just my, uh, especially because uh, Man Man is sort of like outsider art. He had no... Uh, musical training and just sort of bought a piano mm-hmm. and started doing this i think i felt comfortable talking about that and i've been i have a lot of notes for a mountain goats essay um and I'm, i mean I'm, I'm choosing stuff to where hopefully the fan bases aren't super volatile or are more accepting so even if i get some stuff wrong or if I, because like when i talk about film i know a lot about film mm-hmm. um when I talk about parasocial relationships, I've done a lot of research in the past couple of years, but I don't know. I can't sing. I have no musical talent. That's just a part of my life that was never. So I would make more video essays about music, but I just, um, the one I did has like less than 2000 views. It did not do very well. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't care that much about views, but it's also like, if I'm going to spend a hundred hours on a video then I want it to mean something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always like, interested in the idea of just like getting a bunch of people to do something that they know is not going to be popular with as like an experiment to see if like if enough people do this will people just start watching it because they're just like huh maybe i should look at this because there's a lot of this here now 
and then like their we train relationship, people. Yeah, and then their relationship is different. Like maybe they don't like video essays about music, but if a bunch of them just showed up, they're like, huh, maybe they're like, huh, uh, maybe I do want to watch this or something. I don't know. It's a interesting to talk. It's interesting to think about. Um, I think like I have a theory, and maybe this is a controversial theory. But I have a theory that the more mainstream and not even just mainstream, but not just mainstream, but the more like we'll say power fantasy or like the more situation where it's like a piece of media where um, there is the main character who is sort of the moral center and always the, the, the one who is wonderful and everything revolves around. The more mm-hmm. that, like that, a piece of media is, I think the more likely it is to con- to um, to attract toxic fandom. Like, I think the more likely that. it is... I could absolutely see that. Yeah, like, because uh, I was listening to a podcast. It was this podcast called Criminal, and it was about this woman who ran, like, a Harry... Like, it's this Her- big Harry Potter website, and she had this Harry Potter podcast, and she had this other woman in New Zealand, like, harassing her. And this woman had been har- harassed her for, like, eight years or something. Like, and, like, death would send her letters in the mail, like, death threats. And this woman had, like, had been given a restraining order and, like, all this kind of legal stuff had gone against this uh, this woman who was sending her death threats. And she just kept doing it. She was so obsessed and I, I think there's almost like this fervor to when something is so mainstream and popular, um, like Star Wars or like Harry Potter, where people like they're like, you know, it's it's or I was listening to this other thing where they're podcast where they're talking about the guy who killed um, John Lennon and how his favorite movie was The Wizard of Oz. And I feel like there's <laughs> some, there's something this like simple fairy tales, which is like I'm not saying that that's like inherently um that those kinds of media are inherently bad but the fact that our culture like really fucking loves those things where like you know in harry potter my number one problem with harry potter is that harry is like more or less infallible like he is there's no problems with harry he has superpowers he's magical everyone likes him you know he might be kind of a jerk occasionally but yeah you know (laughs) And there's so much media that's like that. And then and then when, you know, people are uh, sort of confronted with media that they, that's like, you know, I show somebody Blade Runner or something and they're like, I don't relate to any of these characters. And I'm like, so? <laughs> you know? And? But, well, it's also, can they only relate to like pure character, like, you know, lawful good characters? Is that the only way you could see yourself? Is that the only possible it's like you're really not admitting something about yourself if that's the case no one is like that uh yeah everyone has a dark side or everyone's done stuff that they regret but that's the default relationship that our culture has with media that's like the the centered default relationship Mm -hmm. and then if you're somebody who engages more with media you start to hopefully you know you look into things that are sort of on the periphery or a little bit weird like if you're in film you start watching like david lynch movies or you start watching like ingmar bergman or fellini or something (laughs) um and if you're music in music you start like you know, let's say you're listening to hip hop and you're listening to like something mainstream, then you start listening to like a tribe called Quest or something like that. <laughs> um, or you're like into rock music and then you start listening to like indie rock and you start listening to like, 
you know, the Minutemen or something like that, um, or the jo- or Joy Division or something. It's it's mm-hmm. all like kind of a way of you kind of understanding your preferences. So then when you're like you know, you say you're fans with your fan of something like I'm a huge fan of David Lynch, but that's because like that universe really resonates me on a very, with me on a very deeply personal level. Um, Mm -hmm. and I feel like there is a, something that is echoed there, but if you're someone who never sort of gets beyond that, a a fact of like where the universe is centered around me, I am the moral center, all these things work in this way. Um, then I think it much more likely attracts a certain sort of toxicity um, and expectation to it uh, because of like people having these expectations that world, that reality is going to meet that and that like, um, and when it doesn't, they get really mad. And I know a lot of people will say to that, well, like, oh, it's just like mainstream entertainment for kids or it's like mass appeal. Like, of course, like people should invest in it. But like the thing is like some like increasingly we're in a culture and a society where people don't live outside of their fantasies. Like your whole like online yeah. existence, your whole like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram is based on creating this fantasy life. There is no like division between those things. And so like I don't think it's I don't think it's appropriate or fair to say that there's that like, you know, people you should know better to not invest so much in this entertainment or whatever to people, especially people who are like mentally ill, because like that's our culture. That's like our culture and that's like the default relationship we have so much with stuff. And I guess that's like inherently the problem that I have with fandom is it's like this is the 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 hard part of the conversation that's hard to get out of because our culture has been built around this, like the the star Wars and stuff uh, or Mario or like, you know, um, Harry Potter or any of these things depend upon um, this massive sort of fandom in order to be successful, to be this culturally ubiquitous thing and to be made and presented in the ways that they are. And like, that's just our culture and there, and it's done by, through corporations through you know through many different sort of things and if we can't like sort of address how much of a relationship we have as a culture with that just by default then it it becomes hard for me to look at individual people and say like well this person is dumb for not understanding the difference between fantasy and reality do do you understand what i'm saying i do and i do think our culture really heavily encourages it like top to bottom. Um, I, uh, one of the, I was thinking about a bunch of different stuff. Like you're talking about this. One of the things I used, uh, one of the videos I pulled clips from for the first parasocial video was uh red letter media's nerd crew series, which like really viciously makes fun of the sort of, I guess it's collider and some other video, like YouTube channels that I do not watch. Where it's so, like, we're really big fans of Star Wars. We're sponsored by Star Wars. Here's a, uh, our sponsor is Loot Crate. Just, like, this really, really transparent encouragement encouragement towards just, like, buying toys and giving as much money as you can to this to prove your loyalty mm-hmm. and just loving every minute of it and using that, like, that's all that your life is. 
And it's also the fact that these aren't necessarily artists who are making this. It's just big corporations who just want your money. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, a, it's such a cynical manipulation of people who are isolated or who do have mental illness or uh, any of these things. And I think that series is the most like cruel and cynical thing Red Letter Media has done to like the Collider people or whatever. They got really upset about it. It was kind of funny. But it's also the most honest. Like I love those videos because I get really angry about the exploitation of consumers um, and this sort of media as identity and I'm oh, sorry I hit a bottle of my foot media as identity oh, and consumption as identity and it, I mean it also for like when Ghostbusters the new Ghostbusters movie came out and people were pretending it was like a radical act or like a feminist act to see a go see a movie I, I one of my video essays was on the fact that Sony wouldn't allow Kate McKinnon's character to be gay they were like, uh-uh, they wouldn't let Paul Feig do that because they were so homophobic and so paranoid about audiences. Yet p- people pretended it was like a feminist movie. Like it was a great, I'm like, you're not even remotely looking past surface level. You're being manipulated into giving all your money to this. And I had people angry at me in the comments from the left saying these were like MRA talking points and I just want to be people to like me on 4chan and whatever. And it just made, I was just like, okay, you're being so transparently manipulated. It, it, go buy your ticket and feel good about yourself. Yeah. You know? I mean, like... I- I have to be honest, like, even even a movie like Get Out, which I think is a great movie, like, I really like that movie, the way that these mm-hmm. things are presented as far as, like, this is the movie that you need to see about race in America or whatever, or, you know, this is the, the thing yeah. that, like, I'm always inherently skeptical, even when it turns out really good of something that is presented in the most like mainstream sort of context possible because even if they get like a lot of stuff right like there's just like you know like i i am much more interested um like i'm just much more interested in something that is not going to have that major the major bucks behind it you know like of the movies that um and this is just like i i you know i'm not going to claim any expertise here so i just want to put that out there but like the movie that appealed to me the most about like, you know, this is a movie about race in America of like in 2017, 2018 is the one uh, that Boots Riley movie called, I think it's called Sorry to Bother You. Um, just because it's like, it, it seems idiosyncratic and it seems interesting and weird. And that's what I value in terms of what I want to watch in movies. And, and like, I feel like that's what I want to like, you know see and just the expectation that you have any obligation to to see these things as a consumer like yeah i mean if you're going to the movies if you're going and and there's a movie there that deals with like sex or race or whatever well then yeah by all means go and see it like and maybe it'll be a um a way to sort of spur those conversations and get you thinking about stuff that you weren't thinking about before but that expectation especially if you're somebody who already like understands this stuff a little bit and like engages with it Mm -hmm. um is a little weird and it's like it's just kind of in a situation where it it is really it really favors all kinds of different corporate manipulation. And that's what I have problems with. And that's why I try and encourage people to engage in smaller kinds of media. But I think it's hard to get people out of that mindset, I guess. I don't know. Well, hopefully that's like a, um, an advantage of the culture being so stratified and everything becoming so niche is that people will split their attention a little bit and give more attention to smaller creators or monetary support or whatever to keep them going. 
I like I I honestly hope that's the case just because I like I like things that are a little bit idiosyncratic and weird especially when people like really go for it and they don't have to like worry about you know who they're talking to or whatever and I just don't see it especially like content online I think that's like the worst example of it where it's just like I've I've wanted yeah. to make fucking weird ass videos about video games I made this video um with uh this guy David Kanega um who made he made this game called Oikespiel and he's like a composer and it's very weird experimental stuff we made a video presentation for this conference for this Indicade conference in LA um here and it was about neoliberalism but like we used like all <laughs> this like weird footage of video games and like like chopped up all just kinds of just it's just so bizarre like it was just the most bizarre video essay and like unfortunately like there were some technical problems with it but um which is why i don't share it more often but like i just want to do that because it was so much fun it was so much fun to just have this like weird fucking robot voice talking about these issues like i just thought it was so fucking funny like but like and that's the thing like i feel like no one was gonna watch that people would be like what the fuck are you doing like if i'm doing but i love getting that reaction from people because it's like it's just like there's some energy that's coming off of people there's some like whenever you like i mean that's the thing that i like about comedy too is you do something that that is not expected or whatever then people are just like what the fuck is going on like it there's that like genuine engagement there i really i really really like that and value that and the format of like something like a video essay expects people to come in and be like okay well here's point a and point b and you know it's just (laughs) like it's so easy to get sucked into that and that's what i find like the most kind of depressing about like content uh about media online in general Uh, online especially i think i've been inspired by uh Specifically by uh, H-Bomb and ContraPoints and Nick Spears for putting... They put so much more um, production design effort into their essays and, like, are not afraid to do weirder stuff. And I'm really, really proud of the Control-Delete essay that I helped cut for uh, H-Bomb. That is very... The comments were, like, comparing it to David Lynch and comparing it to even, like, Filthy Frank and iDubbbz. And the idea of being able to capture their sort of anarchic energy without being regressive and without using slurs and without being terrible, I think is really appealing and I think really cool. And uh, watching what they've done has encouraged me to be a little bit, not currently, there's the stuff I'm working on is a little more serious, but to try to be more experimental with the form because it's like, why not? Like, we don't all have to be Tony Joe doing every frame of painting. I think he's the best editor who's ever done any of this and his work is amazing but it's like I have film equipment I could do something a little stranger or, or, or a little more fun or, or push the format push the envelope I think everybody should yeah because I mean then you're like actually having fun which is, is, is in my mind what you're supposed to do with like creative stuff I, I don't know <sighs> it's also when you're be, trying to be educational versus put, putting I think it's one thing if I was just trying to entertain people, but I do want to have some level of seriousness or I want to be approachable, but it's also if I'm trying to talk about serious topics or academic topics, it's trying to balance all of these different balance people's expectations with what I'm trying to communicate and how I want to communicate it. Um, but I have sort of realized in the past couple of years, like I have a lot more freedom than I thought I did. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to talk to people and get them, but like I I've just found like you can say things as perfectly, you can express things as perfectly as you want and as clearly as you want and people might not necessarily listen and they're still going to hear something else that you didn't say. This is my frustration with it. And oh, yeah. When we're talking about, like, angry people, that's whatever. Yeah. They're going to be mad or they're going to argue with you. Uh, but not not no even what. just not even just that. Like, I, I know a lot of people who, like, you know, are just missing something. Like, even when I feel like I've expressed something as clearly as possible, there's just something that they're missing that I just... And that's when mm-hmm. I feel more comfortable getting kind of more weird and abstract or getting in a more experimental territory because it's like... There are certain ways to tell, like, I mean, this is something that that I'm sure many people talk about in film. There are many different ways to tell the story. Like, you can tell, and a lot of people mm-hmm. think that the only way to tell the story is in the script or in the dialogue or whatever. Um, but then there's also the editing. There's how you frame the shots. There's, like, the, the lighting. There's all that stuff. And that's, like, really, really important. Um... And the images like play a big part of it. In most YouTube essays, the images are very like one to one. Like, if there's anything weird, yeah. it's kind of in you know in one of, and that's and that's what I like. I hope like more people will start to play with because I think like you can be informative and still be weird, and people will still people will still react and respond and and internalize that information even when you think that they might not. I I think it's like, there are other ways and other relationships that we have to media that are not easy to express and that we're not good at articulating because of the kind of priorities our culture has, if that makes sense. I think so. And I think a lot of video essays don't use the format to its full potential, even if, and I'm not trying, because I think these people do like amazing work and I'm not going to like name people or whatever, but if it's just you talking into a camera for most of it, Apart from when there's, like you said, a one-to-one, like, here's a clip of it, of the movie I'm talking about, then here's me talking, then here's another. I think something that I've done that a lot of other people don't do is I just pull from a million different sources or a million different ideas. Even if, like, this footage is low quality or this looks kind of weird or there's a watermark on this, I'm like, well, it's the best clip for what I'm talking about. This has value, even if it's, like, 240p from 15 years ago or whatever, I'm going to use it and try and stop me. It doesn't all because I don't care as much about like really slick looking. And I also think talking into a camera encourages the parasocial aspect. And I do not want to do that. That's part of the reason I've never. It would be easier because then you just have you have footage. Like when it's just my voiceover, I have to find clips. I have to keep it visually interesting. Whereas if it was just my face, then I could just do that for 15 minutes. But I don't want like, oh, we're making eye contact. We're having a conversation. It's like, no, I do want to be seen more as like a teacher. Mm-hmm. Or someone who shares this interest with you and is, is trying to express that rather than uh, here's a one-to-one thing. It's just, uh, and it feels weird when it's like someone's trying to talk directly to you through a computer. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think the reason why I am like, I have issues with the particular kind of tone that is very sort of instructional, that is very one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Is that like a lot of like there's that there's a twi- tweet that someone was posting around about how like social media makes either people into like being scolds about politics or like thinking some stuff like uh, <laughs> what up it's your boy spider dick is like funny uh, just like <laughs> nonsense tarantula dick. tarantula dick yeah it was tarantula dick yeah 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 those are the two that you have to be one or the other. 
and that's like it feels like sometimes i am neither but yeah i really resent that category and i think that like there is kind of there's a problem of like that sort of format of like we need to talk about x or whatever i think people can still talk about Mm -hmm. x but do it in a way that contextualizes it and makes it even funny you know or or weird or just uh i mean it doesn't like there are so many ways to um to talk about like serious issues that are not in this kind of instructional way. And I think there's like, I feel mm-hmm. fatigue about consuming that sort of information. Like I feel total fatigue about it. I mean, which is why like, you know, I think it explains the popularity of something like Chapo Trap House, for example, that's like a politics yes. podcast ostensibly, but is really a comedy podcast or it's a comedy podcast that is really a politics podcast depending on how you want to see it i would say it's a comedy podcast yeah as a big fan of it yeah yeah i would say so too or something like h-bomb's popularity i think harris is fairly like uh funny and charming and puts a lot of jokes in editing and what in what he shoots he puts a lot of effort into making it a little lighter and more entertaining in a way that is still sort of irreverent and cynical and fun and poking, especially when he did like the pickup artist video. Yeah, his, I mean, I love, I love his videos on the sort of alt-right personalities most of all, because I do think that they do a mm-hmm. good job of like looking at these people and saying like, uh, you know, like getting into their like psychology or something in a way, like understanding them more than just like a surface level of like being outraged or upset by them, which I think is really good. Which doesn't do anything. What are you doing when you're just like, you're a terrible person, but if you can make fun of them and point out, I, I think he and Contra and Sean all get a lot of messages yeah. that are like, wow, I didn't realize how stupid I was being. I didn't realize, because yeah. I was offered no counterpoint, apart from stern, like, finger wagging about how I was evil. Yeah. And now I realize, yeah. oh, I was really dumb. <laughs> yeah, because they're, they're engaging with the ideas, at least at some level, right? Like, and they're, and they're trying to mm-hmm. make conclusions based on... A variety of different kinds of evidence um but yeah i wanted to say about h bomber is like his uh video on fallout 3 is definitely my favorite um video essay i've seen about a game just partly because it's like it's funny and it's also like uh mm-hmm. interesting he picks specific elements and specific like i'm i'm very like when i talk about criticism i'm very about specific elements like i like if people can pick out like this is a one example of this and sometimes it's oftentimes something that you wouldn't even think of you know when you're like seeing Mm -hmm. this thing something that's non-obvious um if you could pick those things out and like use those as an example that it's extremely effective and the fact that he does that but then makes it funny is, is really, really cool. And I, and I like hope that more people, I, I really want, I mean, that's something that I like would hope to aspire to do. I'm not good at being like funny naturally, I think, but, um, or at least not in like that sort of format, but like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't want to go on and on about, uh, praising it or whatever, but I think that that's a good <laughs> example of that sort of content where you can make something entertaining and funny and also insightful at the same time. Yeah, and I try. I, I don't think I'm super funny naturally either, but I try to put in like editing gags or clips that are funny or keep it, you know, like pe- like I want to keep someone's attention, and I'm not gonna do that by like doing a whole bunch of bells and whistles. So I'm gonna try to do it by uh, being sometimes subverting people's expectations or, like I said, being a little bit more cynical about it, especially with the parasocial stuff. Finding uh, what resonates with me with that is the Bo Burnham or the Red Letter Media stuff that d- displays how horrible all of this is by being very cynical about it 
and by showing the impact it has either on like a 30 year old Star Wars nerd or a 14 year old girl who's in love with a pop star and how they're exploited. Because it's not pretty. It's not, you know, a lighthearted thing or a strictly. Uh, I can't really engage with it without having some level of uh, emotional investment and just disgust. So yeah. it's like, well, I want to express that. Instead of like, Horton and Wool in 1956 said this, like, yeah, uh, who cares? I think it does, things don't necessarily have to be funny, too. Like, the, the, the video that I did with David Kanega was mostly just weird. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But, like, I'd like to see that, too. Like, it, there's many different ways that you can approach things. I just think there are many different ways that you can approach things that are not at that sort of, like... Uh, instructorial pedantic like that sort of like you know here's the logic and facts about this thing um because i think people have total i have fatigue from that and i know like a lot of people do and like if we're gonna find a way to like understand like issues especially like issues that are um serious political problems in our country Mm -hmm. or in the world or serious societal social problems if we can't find a funny way of talking about something that is so or amusing or weird or you know whatever uh way of talking about something that is so like ever present so like omnipresent then we're just gonna have fatigue and burn out and it's just an invitation to go into like a reactionary mindset where you're just like i'm just going to escape all this stuff i don't even want to engage with it or think about it at all so that's like that's the catharsis that you get from approaching these issues in a little bit different way and i i I wish wish more people would would see that and understand that i think so too and this was never especially in the past this was not a popular opinion but I like I watched a couple of the feminist frequency videos, and I was just like, okay. I, I mean, I obviously Anita Sarkeesian at no point whatsoever deserved any amount of the harassment and death threats and everything that she got. But they're just so dry and academic. And I'm like, who are you talking to? What is the purpose of this? People are only. I felt like a lot of the reason you would share her videos were out, was out of some sense of like moral obligation or like just edu- like a textbook. And like you have all of this money and you have these resources and you have this audience and you could do something really cool and really bring people to feminism in a way that is like creative and impactful and appeals to like a lot of my viewers, especially for the film nerd videos, were teenagers or people who are English as a second language who didn't have another way to learn about film. Um, and I just always thought her stuff was really boring. And I already agreed with all or all or most of it. And I was just like, uh, OK, I am not going to watch this. Why would what does this bring to the table for me? nothing yeah it's it's interesting because like i actually do know her like not super well but like i do know her and like Mm -hmm. i know her enough about her to know that like she is very consciously and intentionally making a sort of 101 video series because she thinks that that is Mm -hmm. what is important and valuable and i i think that she is a person who has the capability of of doing other stuff and is might even be interested in that but i think when you get locked into something especially like with the amount of hate that she got i think that probably just increased yeah. her resolve more and more to do it because i think sometimes when you do something online it might not even be the most amazing thing but then people get it gets so much hate it's like the ghostbusters thing like the of the lady ghostbusters uh trailer that got it gets so much hate so people are like well fuck them this is extra important now we're gonna do this and i think that's it's like a natural response yeah. to like those kinds of moments where it's like this thing got a bunch of crap so 
that just increases like how much more powerful it is, you know, if that makes sense. It entrenches people. Saying. People get hyper defensive, basically. And it depends on where the hate comes from, too. Mm-hmm. The hate, it was very disingenuous and very just reactionary towards her. I think if it had been more critical of the form versus the content, maybe it would have been easier for her to. And again, I have nothing like uh, against her personally or against her work. That was just an example to me of like, this is really dry and it probably could have reached a, a different kind of audience or a wider audience if it was more like Contra's stuff or Harris's stuff. Yeah, I, I, I mostly agree with you on that. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, I had the same reaction, basically. I think, like, with video games, mm-hmm. some of these things were so, like, I, I sort of felt like there are some people in video games, especially, who really just don't know any of this stuff or understand this stuff. So I could sort of see the reason for doing, like, a one-on-one on that. But for other, like, media mm-hmm. studies, there's, you know, most of the people who'd be watching it would be already more educated in that. But anyway, uh, before we go, I want to ask you just <laughs> one more question about, uh, I guess, film Twitter. <laughs> Sorry. I'm All right. Laughing. Let's do it. I hate film Twitter. I love it and I hate it. It's awful. Uh, yeah. It's so uh, what, what, what constitutes film Twitter? What is, like, the, the dynamic of film Twitter? I, I really want to know this. I don't know, especially, like I said before, I don't interact with, like, Ryan Johnson or, like, these are really, really big film critics. I think film Twitter is a lot of people, especially, like, cynical New York and L.A. critics who just subtweet each other and talk about movies. And then there are also uh, video essayists like me and then a lot of smaller, sort of more hobbyist people who are just really enthusiastic and involved with it. And I will, I'll see on my timeline, people like, uh, film Twitter, they're awful. They're being like people who are really elitist are really cynical about certain things. I'm like, well, I don't follow any of those people. I think I have a unique interaction with it and, uh, am sort of more tertiary, like sort of more on the outside of it. Like I, I just try to have fun and, uh, be sincere and be enthusiastic. And if I'm trash talking something, it's probably because I see it as actively harmful well, there are people who I will see them retweeted and just think they're so annoying. Like, before everything happened, people like Devin Faraci or Max Landis and now still like film critic Hulk and Movie Bob have really big followings. Even separate from the assault allegations, I thought they were all terribly annoying and I would butt heads with people over <laughs> them a lot because I'll just say whatever, you know, that's sort of either just championing comic book stuff or getting into weird petty arguments or having a strange, like, Film critic Hulk was such a like Hillary man, weird person. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess it's like any internet community where these certain personalities get big and and set the tone. And then if you bump up against that, it's not good. But for me, it's been like a smaller circle of people who I became friends with a few years ago who just like we share enthusiasm about movies. And if I think someone is being elitist or has opinions I consider uh, annoying or problematic, then I just block them. And I insulate myself in my little happy echo chamber of <laughs> film stuff. So do people mostly on film, I guess it, like anything, there's different corners. You know, but are people mostly mm-hmm. talking about just like, you know, fairly mainstream stuff that comes out um, in like recent stuff? Oh, no, that's, I'll, I'll see all about some, I'll see, it's like there, there'll be an art film that you can only watch in New York and everybody will be talking about it. Our people will... Okay. I think there is a lot of sincere enthusiasm. Or if there's a new Criterion release of something, people are really excited. And it is less okay. acerbic than video games, Twitter. I will say... Well, you were talking about earlier about, like, black and white 
morality and media bringing awful fans. I have tweeted mm-hmm. about politics. I had a tweet about the um, Max Landis assault allegations that got like a thousand retweets. I've had certain stuff take off where I was worried about backlash, and I have gotten more weird, angry comments from DC fans than anyone else. They are completely insane. Like, DC film fans, they are so protective of the brand and so ready to fight. And I would tweet stuff that would get, like, one or two res- responses, and but they would come find me and yell at me. That's the wor- one of the worst parts of film Twitter yeah. is, like, the DC... Uh, the the very strange and the people who like you said are protective and uh, internalize any kind of criticism of this like billion dollar whatever but it's, it's one of the weirdest Twitter experiences I don't even remember what I tweeted I think I was tweeting about how if you think a film critic cares about the distinction between Marvel and DC you are deluded what is more likely is that an elitist film critic will just look down on all comic book movies that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And then I had people with Batman avatars coming out of nowhere being like, you need to get laid, lady. And I'm like, who are you? Where did this come from? You're just well, you're so, so wait, defensive and so angry. Wait, so comic book nerds are in your mentions of uh, mentions of a woman saying, you need to get laid. There was, a, there was a, <laughs> one I remember, because it was so strange, was a guy with a Batman avatar saying, you need to get laid, lady. Yeah, and the, yeah, the irony of that. And I'll tweet something offhand. And like I said, I can talk about politics. I can talk about other contentious film stuff and get very little pushback or get pushback equivalent to my following. Like I'm about to hit 5,000 mm-hmm. followers. People are going to get mad. But DC oh, yes. fans are the most completely insane, horrible uh, people that I have. Been. Even like I'll tweet political stuff about video games or about, you know. Oh, don't. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I don't. Well, I don't. Luckily for me, I don't really care about. I can't afford time wise or money wise most AAA stuff, so I don't even have to engage with any of that. Yeah, but yeah I and I don't tweet much about Star Wars. Star Wars fans are probably terrible too, trying to remake the Last Jedi or whatever. Yeah, people got really upset when I said I didn't care about Undertale, like, and and that I didn't want to <laughs> feel like I needed to care about things just because they were popular. And the thing is, like, it's fine. I'll probably go play that game at some point, but. It was just like, I just don't like the obligation that I have to talk about this thing. Yeah, or like the idea that me not caring about something means I'm better than people who care about it or that I'm better than the game. I think in my video games essay, I mentioned not having the time or money for AAA stuff. And someone's like, oh, you think they're not art? You think they're not good? I'm like, you want to buy me a PS4 and lessen my <laughs> workload? Like, do you want to do that? Like, I don't care. And I think other people don't understand the idea of apathy. Or the idea of not yeah. being super emotionally invested in all of this because they can't wrap their head around it. They think everyone is as angry as they are and as invested in all of these things. And I am a very passionate person. I care a lot about media. I care about a lot of this stuff. But people who just come looking for an argument about anything, I'm like, I don't have the emotional energy. I don't care. I'm not faking not caring. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> I, I totally, I, I think I have a bit of a sense of moral superiority about it. And, and only because I'm like, well, I'm <laughs> spending the amount of, time and energy engaging with this that other people probably aren't so yeah i deserve a little bit more a little bit more respect maybe just because i'm spending (laughs) a little bit more time thinking about this i don't know that's how i feel but i will say with i'm like oh whatever yeah with film stuff it, it does seem to be like dominated by I guess it's like it's the it's the overall. Well, first of all, it seems like it seems like basically the comics industry is the film industry now. <laughs> yeah, um, when you're talking about big budget stuff and because there's two contingents, there are the elite, super elitist 
the stereotypical like coastal elites, the the critics, the people who look down on people who like I my first film nerd, I said I didn't like Jean-Luc Godard and I got so many angry comments like how dare you, you're not a cinephile. I'm like I don't want to be a cinephile. Shut up. And then there are the people that push back against that, the the comic nerds who just want to lo- just love sometimes just love garbage and if anyone insults their garbage yeah. they get so upset and there's you know and it, they're both awful and i'm like neither of them can appreciate the stuff the other likes i mean this makes me think of like i wrote a piece about this game called the witness by the way i have similar opinions about john luke goddard i actually really like some of his movies but he's kind of insufferable also he thinks he's so cool <laughs> yeah i i mean the french new wave is is overrated although there are some good uh french new wave movies that i really like like i love last year at marion bud there are but every film class i ever took it came up i'm like there are more than just like french white people in the 60s who did art films i mean i, I love Truffaut and i love uh agnes varda i love a lot of it but i think yeah no i'm just it was just yeah people got so because you're supposed to love godard you're supposed to respect him and love him. And I'm like, I, mm. I thought Breathless was pretty sexist. And I think he's stupid and he wanted to be really cool. Oh, he used a certain kind of film stock. Okay, wow. <laughs> I think he's like a particular kind of like, I guess, hipster dude. But I think he he did do mm-hmm. some things that were interesting with the form. And I'm like more interested in that than anything that he's saying as far as insight. And also like, I love Anna Karina, but I love her mm-hmm. as her own thing rather than as echoing uh, Godard. But anyway, um, I, I just think, I think it's funny um, how like, it feels like the, the, the dominant film discourse is that kind of like, and maybe this is just because this is the, the dominant atmosphere of like Hollywood and things like that is it's, it's this kind of like, uh, just kind of milk toast like centrist kind of approach to yes. things where it's like um and and I, I i sort of felt this way about certain people who were in the game industry who were men who were like you know saying like shit about gamergate or whatever but didn't have good track records themselves of actually standing up for women or anything um of that like you know like i'm inherently morally superior because i'm an insider and i'm part of this industry but i'm also doing all this effort to to pretend that i'm a fan it's this like very calculated like and th- and that's what your goes back to what you're saying about the calculated nerddom too and like fucking people yep. like chris hardwick and like the or like jeremy johns and chris stuckman the the surface level apolitical not yeah. very thoughtful critic which they have like all the people I talk about, to me, they're important in my sphere. But I think Stuckman or Johns has like 3 million subscribers or something, which is so far beyond any number, you know. If you combine all the big left, the quote unquote big leftist and alt right YouTube channels, maybe mm. that would hit 3 million. It's like we, I'm in this little world, but what the mainstream is watching is a guy in front of a green screen talking about Zootopia for three minutes and then he makes thousands of dollars off mm. of it. I can get a little cynical about that kind of stuff, just really mindless. Uh, like you said, they don't want to offend anyone. It's I'm inherently corporate. suspicious of, of that. I'm inherently suspicious of that and people like that. I just like, and more so than I am with some other people who might say things that are more objectionable, honestly, just because there's mm-hmm. something calculated to that, that, that I find weird. Um, but anyway, I think, I think, so I think we should wrap up. Um, but is there anything else you want to say or promote or, or anything before we, before we wrap up? 
Well, yeah, my YouTube channel is uh, Struchi Movies, and I have short films and video essays on there. Hopefully the next parasocial essay will come out by the end of the month. I also, I've written a review of Hereditary that gets really personal with regards to trauma that I need to record, hopefully tonight. I don't know, I try to express stuff that I think is important and have fun with it. And if I get a lot of hits or if I make friends through it or if I, you know, make money through it, I try to consider that a bonus and stuff has gone well in that regard, I think, for me. So I'm just going to keep doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's basically how I approach my podcast and Patreon, too. So, Well, great. Thank you so much. Um, I have been talking to Shannon Strucci. Um, thank you, Shannon. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. It was fun. <laughs>